Welcome to Laugh It Up Fuzzball. I am Joe the Wookie Riot. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about life, the universe, and everything, but mostly geek stuff. A place where we get to let our geek flag fly and talk about all things geek. As I've said before, this isn't an amalgamation of geek news or a comprehensive guide to all genres or the world of geekdom. Hopefully it's just a fun place to cover some geek news, comics, The Simpsons, Star Wars, and whatever randomness finds its way on in the recording. But let us get started. On the continuing adventures of the Slosh, the Slosh tries to create and finish his mission every week. Yet somehow the forces of life work against the Slosh, and somehow he continues to slowly get through everything, including grad school and all of the geeky things of the universe, to provide a simple thing called Laugh It Up Fuzzball. Hi, I'm Joe the Wookie Riot, and I am the Slosh, the slowest podcaster alive. <laughs> I don't know if that's fair. I'm probably not the slowest, because at least uh, the show does come out every week, right? And sure, this episode's getting up to you on a Sunday, courtesy of I like to sleep, and I like to get good grades, or at least passing grades, on a graduate school for my history degree, but uh, here we are. I am back, and welcome to episode 121 of the podcast, and we're just going to get right into it, uh, because we need to, because I need to record this real quick, and then save it, and put everything up on the interwebs, and get it to you, and somehow get to work, so uh, let's go, let the Wookiee win, Star Wars is our first segment, we're going to talk all about Star Wars, and the first news, granted, I'm just going to say real quick, I may just blow through this news real fast, it might be a version of Firehose News, as Danny says, that's how you get through it, buddy, Firehose News, but Nick Nolte, joins the impressive cast of The Mandalorian. And yeah, already the cast has a lot of interesting people, a lot of interesting directive, but uh, all of a sudden it's going to get gruff in The Mandalorian. I'm going to be in a bar or something and uh, give advice to that helmeted freak. <laughs> and that's, that's my best Nick Nolte for you. Uh, yeah, why not gruff? Who knows? They did say that, you know, because of CGI or whatever, a lot of actors could become part of the show without actually like maybe doing some physical filming. Who knows what they'll decide. Nick Nolte has an amazing voice, so maybe it could just be a voice for an alien. Or maybe I just really hope he's he's something like like a bartender. You know, like Woo Hair. I, I think that'd be great. I, I think he'd be the perfect either uh Cantina drunk or Cantina owner. And uh, we'll we'll see. I, I think that sounds fun. We also got news. Um, Steven Schiff, who is the executive producer from The Americans, which is a show I've seen a couple episodes of and enjoyed, but I didn't watch the whole thing. But I know people love, love, love The Americans. And it is a show that just had its season finale So this year. So uh, name the new showrunner for the Cassian Andor series. And uh, I, I think that's really good news. I mean, Disney... Star Wars is is sniping some really amazing talent to do these shows, and uh, why not? I mean, he just did an amazing show about Russian spies, so hey, Cassian Andor, not Russian, but he is a spy, and uh, who knows, maybe, maybe the whole time before Rogue One, he was incognito within, uh, within the Imperial Alliance with uh, his fake wife. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know that much about, uh, about the Americans, but I do know that Carrie Russell, who, uh, is in episode nine 
it was in that show. So, ooh, it's a weird connected web that's woven by the peoples. Um, also, so just I guess you could skip ahead a couple 30 seconds. We got some episode 9 spoilers. These aren't official. It's just, you know, the, the, the web goes goes alive with people talking about these different things so there's a rumor of uh ray and rose teaming up in episode nine who knows what that could mean uh i think it makes sense you know you take these characters and you put them together uh some people have suggested that there might be some tension between the two i think in the novelization it actually of uh, the last jedi talked about said tension i did not read that i don't actually normally read the novelizations of the movies but yeah, tension over Finn, you know, of course, because Rose loves him, and uh, and right, rightfully so, I get that. She fanboyed over him, fangirled over him, uh, of course, and Finn always has seemed since episode seven that he's all about, you got a, you got a girlfriend, got a boyfriend, cute boyfriend, uh, waking up in his, his water bag suit, and the first thing is, where's Ray? You know, and then that hug when they're reunited, for sure. Uh, but he's he's got some complicated feelings to deal with, and uh, yeah, I don't I don't want to see a movie with two uh, female protagonists who have identified themselves as having potential, being awesome, arguing over a man. I think that's a that's a stupid trope. But uh, you know, it could be some really great stuff. I I would like to see two strong ass women doing strong ass things. Uh, we also got Reddit uh, claiming that the story. I guess one more spoiler. Skip ahead another 30 seconds, but uh, claiming that the episode 9 story is going to happen one year after The Last Jedi. I think that makes total sense. Uh, let a little bit of time. I mean, between episode 4, 5, and 6, there was there was time that elapsed. Yes, even even a little bit of time between Han being frozen in Carbonite and uh, going to Jabba's Palace at the beginning of Return of the Jedi. So yeah, and, and that allows characters to grow and for some things to happen. It also you know adds in how is JJ going to do some of that exposition. So we know what happened without like spending minutes and minutes and minutes of screen time explaining what happened. Uh, but there's going to be some really witty dialogue that explains everything and why not. That uh, that spoiler actually has me really excited. I'd even be down with three years, you know. I I, I don't know, but we'll, we shall see. Uh, coming up next, Galaxy of Adventures. So I I did talk about that. Uh, I think on the last podcast, just uh, how how great that is. You know, these little these one minute shorts, just to get kids hooked on on uh, Star Wars, and that's exactly what it is. It is big moments. As of right now, really from the original trilogy, episodes four to six, uh, and and putting them up there so a, a kid in like last cinnamon and a half can watch this really cool sort of anime style um, uh, thing, and it's oh, it's something monkey that's doing doing the animation. They they've been involved in all sorts of good animation. But these are really, really neat. I, I really like them. Using original voice clips from the movie. So, yes, you get to hear, you know, Obi-Wan, Carrie Fisher's Leia, and, and Harrison Ford's Han, and Mark Hamill's Luke. Um, you get to hear their voices as they're just showing this thing. And, and, yeah, you know, when Luke ignites the lightsaber at one point in one of the clips, it's really dynamic. But it's also awesome. Really, really awesome. There are uh, 15 short shorts on YouTube Star Wars Kids channel right now. Who's got short shorts? Star Wars Kids got short shorts. But um, real fast, if you've got littles, you know, kids of your own, nephews, nieces, 
this is this is it. I am definitely my 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 four year old little guy. We're watching these because this is right up his alley. It's the perfect amount of time for his attention span. But uh, of the shorts, Luke Skywalker: The Journey Begins. I really really enjoyed that one because the lightsaber ignition. You got Luke versus the Death Star, X Wing Assault. Just that Luke going up against the the first Death Star, Episode Four. Luke versus the Wampa, Cavern Escape. Yeah, scary Wampa. Luke versus Empire Emperor Palpatine, Rise of Evil. This one's really, really interesting because of all of them. It has uh, some stuff from the the prequels. It's literally just showing you in a minute, you know, the Emperor rising to power and getting to that final scene with Luke, Darth Vader, and the Emperor Palpatine. Uh, there's these really cool ones. They do fun facts. So they have Darth Vader fun facts, and it's uh, actually using like live action and animation just to get you interested in the character. Then there's Darth Vader power of the dark side which is arguably the darkest of all these, uh, the end of Rogue One, except now it's on the Tante 4, and uh, that of all those ones, that's the one that might be, well, might be the most violent. For the wee little ones, you got Darth Vader, Might of the Empire, which is just really, really cool imagery showing off how powerful the Emperor, Empire was at, in uh, the original trilogy. Han Solo, Galaxy's Best Smuggler. That one's actually sort of cool because it has little clips of, of from the Solo movie, which it's it's really nice, but it's all Harrison Ford's voice. Uh, Chewbacca, the trusty co-pilot. Oh, you know I'm going to love anything Chewbacca, and that one's really, really, really good with Han and Chewie. You get Chewie versus Hollow Chest, let the Wookiee win. Uh, duh, that's, a, that's the title of this segment. It's it's really, really great. R2-D2, a loyal droid, which is uh, the opening of Episode Four. Really, really good. Princess Leia fun facts. And uh, what's nice about the end of they ask questions of the kids. Like, what about Leia inspires you? And uh, yes, be inspired by Princess Leia. You got Princess Leia versus Darth Vader, a fearless leader, which is really, really good. You know, Princess Leia on the Tonto 4 being great. And there's also a fun facts one for Luke, a fun facts one for Starfighters. These are just great. They're, they're really, really cute. Real, I mean, 15, so 15 minutes of your life. I blew through it real fast and rewatched a couple of them. Just, and I, I like the, the little anime style. I dig it. I think it's really cool. I think kids will dig it. And like George Lucas said, these these movies are for 12-year-olds. And uh, they need to find a way to hook the next generation on Star Wars if they want it to keep going and keep it as, with such a huge fan base. You know, a lot of us are aging up. So this this is the way to do it. It is with shows like Star Wars Rebels. It is with shows like Star Wars Resistance. It is with these little shorts. I know uh, my well, my best friend, his two boys, Star Wars, um, Clone Wars, they really, really, like, they watched that with their dad and really got into it. And it's with these sorts of shows that kids are going to care more than it just being a movie, but just actually being something that they love. But that's all your uh, your Star Wars for right now. We'll go into uh, Flavor of the Geek. <laughs> we're just going to start with the Captain Marvel trailer. Captain Marvel. Wow. Oh, I guess we're in the trailer park. So, <laughs> hey, welcome. Yeah, I'm back. It's in the trailer park. But uh, holy heck, I dug this trailer right from go. We get a smirk from Carol Danvers for all the butt hats who insist women smile more. Then for all the uninformed that had issues over her punching grandmas. The clear reveal of scrolls posing as knitting mothers of mothers. Then there's so much more. Uh, more for Fury, including Sam Jackson showing his adorable side with a cat that should, should get some people much more intrigued. Who cares if its name was switched from Chewie to Goose? Still the name of a wingman, and the and the Disney universe already has a Chewie that they make pretty good money off of. Noble warrior heroes versus scrolls with more flashback interestingness, and Carol becoming Kree. Mohawks and the power cosmic, which just looks badass. Carol is so confident, and the effects look so amazing in this origin story that it looks like it's going to be 
different than previous formulaic origin stories. Hell to the yeah, friends. I really cannot wait for this movie. It, it just looks so cool. And then, of course, the, the news of this week, the Avengers Endgame trailer. And we finally get the title. Thank goodness for that. But this trailer is not about plot. It is not about action. And it's, it's a reminder that our heroes are in a bad way after Infinity War and need to figure out how to fix things. Uh, busted Iron Man mask, Pepper Potts love stuff, man of that. Thanos armor, Scarecrow, sad survivors. Clint Barton as Ronan, which is, as my buddy Adam pointed out, the one big thing of this trailer. Me loving Cap. And especially his line after he looks at a picture of his beloved Peggy. The point is this is a culmination of 20 movies. The point is that uh, the MCU will finally be 21 movies in and legal to smoke and drink. And we all know that those can be dark things. uh, But sometimes fun times. But, um, you know, darkness and fun. I think that's a good description for the movie. Also, I love Scott Lang at the end, and his antics were much needed after a somber tone teaser trailer. I really like this because it gives away nothing except maybe some Hawkeye Evolution stuff. It's going to tide geeks over until we get trailers next year, and also, heck yeah, for April being announced as a release month in the trailer. I actually think that there was a poster that said April 26th, so we do not have to wait as long for this movie. And that is nice. It, it was a lot of people like this trailer so much more than me. I didn't dislike it. I'm just like, you know, I saw, saw a really funny meme where they're like, they didn't tell us anything yet. We're excited. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, what else? Oh, hey, one more trailer up here in the trailer park. I was like, man, there's only two trailers. That's that's not a lot. We need to make some money off these trailers. <laughs> but then all of a sudden I remembered I forgot to talk about the trailer that was here like three weeks ago. So the Runaway Season 2 trailer. Fixing the world broke by their evil parents. And uh, their parents are looking for them while they're on the run. Because they're runaways. Ha! Not just a clever name. Uh, Fistigons, a six-foot-tall dinosaur. So much more. The trailer makes the second season, which debuts all 13 episodes on December 21st, looks so great. Who needs holidays with the family when you get awesomeness to binge on Hulu? I've heard a couple interviews with Ryan Sands and Renzi Feliz, who who play two of the characters, dad and son, respectively. They really do make the season sound really cool apparently there's gonna be ties to the greater mcu heck yeah i'm really just hoping for some cloak and dagger action at some point but all in all i could not be more excited and i'm also very happy that this show drops december 21st while all the other shows that i love to watch are on hiatus uh this trailer like the other two that I mentioned, uh, it's this this trailer goes towards the top of the list. Uh, you can find all these trailers on the Laughing Up Fuzzballs Facebook page, on the Book of Faces, if you will. And uh, yeah, yeah, really, really good. What else? Oh, Daredevil Season 4. <laughs> it's not happening. It was canceled by Netflix. That means Iron Man, or not Iron Man, Iron Fist. And uh, I, I think I confused Power Man and Iron Fist. But Luke Cage, Iron Fist. Daredevil, not happening. Uh, I imagine we are getting the third season of Jessica Jones. I think I heard that. So probably after we get that third season of Jessica Jones, then I'm like, Jessica Jones is canceled. And uh, they're working on a Punisher season two, so we'll probably get that. And then they're going to be like, Punisher is canceled. And uh, hopefully there is some way that these shows can continue in some way, shape, or form. Netflix has said that the shows are going to remain on their thing. I mean, they spent money on the property, so why would they not? But uh, the big questions about whether Disney Plus, their app, is going to gonna be able to show these and keep these going, we don't know. We don't know. I know that it sucks because Daredevil Season 3 was amazeballs and so dang good. And uh, it's a show that should keep going, but uh, we'll, we'll see. 
We shall see. Uh, it does, it does, I mean, Daredevil Season 3 ends on a nice button where if it did end, it'd be okay. Wouldn't be like Deadwood Season 3 when it ended, and I'm like, man, I need more Deadwood! Because it really didn't end like, like, oh, we're, we're wrapping things up. They were like, we're doing a, a, a fourth season, and, and it didn't happen. So, uh, thankfully, Daredevil seemed a little different. Although, I probably should go back and watch the last episode and see if I'm satisfied. Because I know after the last episode of Luke Cage... And the last episode of Iron Fist, I was like, oh, here we go. More interestingness in the future. But no, no, no more. No more is what they say. What other news? A live action 10 episode Cowboy Bebop show headed to Netflix, according to IGN. Creator Shinichiro Watanabe is a consultant for this Tomorrow Studios production. Christopher Yost, who is the writer of Thor The Dark World and Thor Ragnarok, is writing at least the very first episode. And I think doing some executive producing for it. Man. This of all of all the anime that I've seen some episodes of, uh, honestly, it's the only one I've seen all of it because it's easier to see because it's like 22, 23 episodes and you can watch it on Zehulu, I believe. Uh, so it's not like, you know, One Piece or any of these others where they're like, oh, just get in. There's only like 300, 400 episodes for you to watch. Uh, wow, you're like, I will never be able to watch all this. Uh, currently, I'm not caught up on My Hero Academia, but that's another anime that I really enjoy. Although, I'm not sure how they would do that one, but they could with all the superhero stuff. They've already figured out some effects as long as they were going to plunk some money into it. That's neither here nor there. Cowboy Bebop, Watanabe's show is so amazing and now we're getting 10 episodes on netflix and i think it's going to be freaking amazeballs uh it could be so good but they better find some great fight choreographers and some some actors that can really really bring it and uh yeah yeah i i think this could be a lot of fun i think people will really enjoy it i think this could really be along the lines of firefly like Yes, yes. Firefly is like inspired by Cowboy Bebop, and if you like that, watch watch the anime definitely. But I look forward to this live action thing. Lots of fun. We got a DC is apparently already developing an Aquaman sequel, according to Amber Heard in an interview, and then her talking about Warner Brothers Pictures Group chairman Toby Emmerich. This is based off box office predictions, and of course, it's just usual practice for films like this. You always you always plan for, especially with the superhero stuff. We would like to do more. We'll see how uh, Bro Siding, King of the Brochin, does at the box office at first. I'm certainly going to be buying a ticket. I'm stoked, stoked, stoked to see this James Wan underwater splashdown. But uh, yeah, they're already in development for an Aquaman sequel. And so we might be getting more Aquaman. And if it does well, why not? And if it's good, certainly why not? You know, I, yes, yes, please. Uh, what else? I, you know, I guess it's just sort of a tangent. But Aquaman always does like really interesting stuff which leads to like more justice league involvement like in his world so maybe maybe that's a way to sort of sort of like along the lines of captain america civil war to have have a big team-up movie without it being a team-up movie that is also possible it looks like this aquaman movie is going to have all sorts of action all sorts of people interacting so why not why not uh matthew vaughn says that Kingsman 3 is a prequel period drama showing history through the eyes of the organization that started as a tailor shop. Lots of lots of casting. Daniel Brule, a.k.a. Baron Zemo from Captain America Civil War, and Charles Dance, a.k.a. Tywin Lannister from Game of Thrones. They've signed up. And then you got Rice Ifans, a.k.a. Dr. Kirk Connor the Lizard from Amazing Spider-Man, and Matthew Good, a.k.a. Ozymandias from the Watchmen movie, also circling roles. Uh, Kingsman, the great game is the name of this prequel set in the early 20th century. 
Um, they're also going to join actors who are on the project, like Voldemort, a.k.a. Ralph Fiennes, and Harris Dickinson, a.k.a. not connected to the geek world yet, but from a movie called Trust that is mentioned on IDMB. Long and short, Matthew Vaughn sees Married in a prequel, has a really, really good cast with, uh, with geeky bona fides, and uh, I'm interested. I am interested. And then we'll see if uh, Taron Edgerton does uh, Kingsman 4. So, yeah, or maybe that'll actually be Kingsman 3. I, I don't know how that works. We shall see. Uh, Joe Russo and Anthony Russo, the Russo brothers, they of the amazing Marvel movies, my favorite of a lot of the Marvel movies, uh, did a Q&A with Collider. They uh, watched uh, Infinity War, and then uh, they did a two-hour Q&A afterwards. They actually put that up onto uh, the Collider podcast feed. I, I actually started listening to it with Heather. Uh, they really didn't say that much, and the sound quality was really not so great. So we, we sort of skipped it. <laughs> we listened for like 40 minutes, and then we're like, we can't. We can't anymore. It's just just a little bit grating on our ears. However, of that, while I didn't actually listen to it, News Source talked about it. Joe Russo talked about how Thanos almost narrated Infinity War. The idea of a Marvel movie having a narrator both intrigues me and also makes me happy that it didn't happen. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really not special. It would have been a different movie with a narrator. But Thanos was already the protagonist of that story. So, uh, you know, I, I see how they might have done it. But, you know, whenever you have a narrator, then you're like, he's alive. Because unless they're like, oh, I was reading from his diary the whole time. So uh, I'm glad they did not do it. But uh, it's interesting. I like hearing, like, oh, we almost did this, but we didn't. And you're like, wow, genius 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 like the shark was almost in all of jaws but then it didn't work and then the movie became the movie <laughs> so yeah uh also well, well i guess we're switching from marvel but the on the dc front apparently dc and warner brothers are developing a blue beetle movie led by jaime reyes so that's exciting there's also news of uh of them working on a Zatanna movie. So, you know, they're they're still milking all their properties and seeing what they can do. That'll be fun. Uh, I am more interested in a Justice League dark movie that includes Zatanna than just, like, a separate Zatanna. But, uh, I don't know. You know, they're also doing, like, the Swamp Thing show. So maybe that's why they're not going to have Swampy and Justice League dark. And then, of course, Constantine is on Legends of Tomorrow. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, Blue Beetle movie with a, with a Hispanic superhero and then maybe actually including like ted cord at least as a mentor or something could be fun yeah i uh ever since watching that small girl or smallville episode with uh booster gold and uh jaime reyes is blue beetle I'm, I'm like yes yes so much yes i haven't read that many comics about the two of them but uh yeah i think i think that could be really fun i would i would like to, but i want to see a ted cord and booster gold movie and i don't know Anywho, uh, news of Tom Hanks as Geppetto in a Pinocchio movie for Disney. <laughs> yes, he's he's America's dad, so why not let him be a little wooden puppet's dad? And uh, and uh, maybe maybe it doesn't have to be set in Italy. I don't I don't know. Maybe he's an Italian American. Uh, but this, of course, people immediately were like, but wait, Del Toro, Guillermo Del Toro is doing a version, a dark version of Pinocchio on Netflix. So they're like, the two will be competing. But will they? Because, you know, Disney's not, I, I don't think uh, his Pinocchio movie, a beloved dark classic. Man, that Pinocchio movie's dark and I love it. Love, love, love it. But I doubt they're going to do Pinocchio and just send it straight to Disney+. Plus. 
I think they're going to put it out in the theaters, especially with Tom Hanks. Mr. Hanks, he of the money in the blockbuster, he of the money in the movies, he of everything. I don't know why all of a sudden, why all of a sudden, Moose and Squirrel! <laughs> why, why I started going that way, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually interested for both. I, uh, I, well, I say that, but then uh, I saw there was like a Little Mermaid version on uh, Netflix, and uh, I was like, meh. But I don't have the time for all those things. We'll see. We'll see what silly, weird stuff I watch when school's over. There's only a week and a half for that. Um, but yeah, Tom Hanks is Geppetto. So uh, prepare to cry because Pinocchio is a sad and dark story. We got uh, Preacher is renewed on AMC for a season four. And yes, please, thank you. Uh, see, I've, I've come out and said I love season one of Preacher. Season two, I was like, yeah, okay. Season three was right back. And I was like, yes. So much yes in the way they ended season three. I want to see so much more for the show. And thankfully, they've renewed it for a season four. And I really think this is the perfect show just to go five seasons and be done. Because it just seems like it would it'd be perfect from the graphic novel that it's based on. Uh, so, yeah. Really, really good. Uh, oh, there was a, a tweet. Of course, nothing ever happens bad on Twitter. And this isn't necessarily bad stuff. But Scott Snyder uh, put something up on his Twitter. They got geeks all sweaty about a possible Batman Court of Owls video game from Warner Brothers Montreal Studio. Basically, that studio is working on a new game. Nobody knows what it is. And Snyder retweeted, retweeted something from like the president or one of the coordinators from uh, Warner Brothers Montreal. And that has now been read as there's going to be a Batman Court of Owls uh, game. Of course, uh, the Montreal studio did, uh, I think, the very first Arkham game, which was like the third game that came out. But uh, they've worked on the Arkham games, and I, I've enjoyed the Arkham games. I haven't played them all through to completion, but I have played two of the three for at least some interval and really, really enjoyed it. So why not? Why not? I think that could be really, really fun. But that is all the geeky flavors. We're going to head on to the small screen Star Wars Simpsons sci-fi superhero synopsis and get some TV out of the way. It's the TV that I've caught up on. Uh, of course, we have to start... With the walking deuce, which is, yeah, Danny came and recorded an episode, and we actually didn't do his uh, recaps of uh, the, the last three episodes of the, the first half of the season of Walking Dead Season 9. But here we are, and in true fashion, we're going to do uh, three different voices for Danny for the three different episodes. Uh, we're going to finish off with the favorite of his, but let's see. Uh, a Walking Dead Season 9, Episode 6. Who are you now? Uh, Danny's reviews continue. And let's do the time jump again in the tune of Time Warp. It's hard to tell if the time jump helps refresh the show or just gets rid of that sandbag Rick. But show the show continues to grow positively, in my opinion. Lady, amazing job by the set designer, CGI workers, and customers. And the show is about 10 to 15 years into its timeline. And they do an amazing job of having the old world being decrepit and overgrown glavin but uh the world has gone past the frontier and full-blow settlements laws leadership tribunals judith is a moral compass that carl was supposed to be from the beginning adds more motivation of what's it cost in this world when you've seen the same faces for the last six years lady people how do you deal with strangers the show continues to move in a positive direction probably one of the better seasons in a while <laughs> and that is a uh... The Walking Deuce for uh, Season 9, Episode 6. Uh, headed to Episode 
episode 7, Stradivarius, yes, we have to be Russian when we talk about excellent violins, Carol and Daryl, the hermit version, catch up, Daryl is still holding out hope on finding Rick, since they never found body, Carol is looking for Daryl to mentor Henry as future, future of kingdom, but Michonne, travels to Hilltop to pawn off the new group Judith found. Hilltop has become the ideal colony, with farming extending past walls and jobs for everyone to do with tilling fields to manually working bike-powered washing machines. Michonne and new group continue to butt heads over trust, and Michonne denying them access to weapons until they arrive to Hilltop. Is Michonne's paranoia justified? Is it? Or does it get the best of her? Maggie's gone. And Jesus, yes, Jesus, not not the uh, Son of God, more like uh, Jesus, but said said Aramaic way, is in charge by winning election. And Jesus sneaks off to secret rendezvous with Aaron of Alexandria, conspiring a way to to bring two strange colonies together. And then Jesus and Tara, who is the head of Hilltop Security, argue over lack of political leadership and his habit of leaving colony. But then Lupita is found wounded and Eugene is missing and Jesus is doing search team with himself, Daryl and Aaron to find him against Taylor's objections. And uh, for episode before mid-season finale, it builds up tension and story leading up to expected big reveal of what we can expect for second part of season. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that sounds like a good episode, Mr. Russian Danny. And uh, wait, wait. Oh, oh boy, oh, we have to do episode 8, Evolution. One more, one more review to talk about before uh, the show took a break. Uh, Negan and Father Gabriel have a nice chat. Negan seems to be heading back into his old manipulated ways. Being a forgotten prisoner allows him to hear things from conversations in the ground, but that, that phone ends when Father Gabriel learns of Rosita's condition at Hilltop. The search group finds Eugene and a group of walkers that keeps tracking them, and Eugene's discovery, they can talk. Great battle in a foggy cemetery, and the new villains are revealed to a grand entrance. Michonne and the new group arrive to Hilltop, aren't exactly greeted with open arms, but there is a lot of animosity towards Michonne from both members of Hilltop and the kingdom. Awkward conversation between Michonne and Carol, then there's unresolved issues with Michonne's decision to separate from the other communities. Then Henry meets Hilltop teenagers, and of course, they're dumb troublemaking teenagers, and they're dumb drunk horny teenagers, and there's a lot of talk about a fair between Hilltop and the Kingdom for exchange of goods and trade, and then they, they really want Alexandria to participate, but this fair seems like a good point to, to really cause something bad to happen, story-wise. I don't know what that means, it's just written by Danny, but really, they just they just left Negan's cell unlocked. Ah, they could have come up with a better escape than that, but that's just lazy. But that, that's where Danny's review ends. Thanks so much, Mr. Ashgar. You're welcome. And hey, Russian guy. Yeah, da da. Are you here? And uh, and and Jerry Lee Lewis, Clavin. Yeah, yeah. They're all gonna leave <laughs> out the out the studio. I'm a ridiculous dumb dumb head. But uh, Walking Dead is on mid season break. Gonna be back with episode nine on February tenth. And uh, like I revealed in the Denny thing, I'm only a couple episodes behind. I just haven't watched those. I think I watched episode six. So there's like two more episodes for me to watch and be caught up with The Walking Dead. But I enjoyed Danny's reviews. And I hope you enjoyed The Walking Deuce as well. 
Going to my reviews, The Gifted, Season 2, Episode 8, The Dream. The aftermath of Rebecca's actions result in all sorts of animosity in the world for mutants, and while Johnny and Blink search for the crazy teenager who can literally turn people inside out, Lorna deals with the future safety of her kiddo. Really not all that much in other departments, other than me getting all misty-eyed for the daddy-daughter moment for Eclipse and Hope. But all the backstory for Polaris with her dad issues is highlighted here, while Magneto's name is never mentioned. Geeks like me, geeks like you, know that's Lorna's papa. Her papa! And it, it's all real good and adds to her character as she deals with being a parent herself now. The sum total is an episode that is just getting us to the next since Reed, Lauren, and Mama Strucker end up in a way too perfect college campus that is doing research on mutants that is also connected to Reed's father's research and the purifiers. You know that cannot be good. And all the big reveal, although the big reveal is classic X-Men stuff, I still said, Rut row out loud. That's actually one of my favorite things to say when I'm watching these superhero shows. Rut row. But uh, also, Mutant said the humans a lot here. It really got me thinking about animal rights, but that's just me with a brain full of grad school. So, yay. Mutant show. Uh, episode 9, Game Changer. After the slow moving episode previously, this let us know without a doubt that Lorna's Polaris is related to Magneto. I mean, it really on the nose. Uh, we get rolling with action right away. Families, even fake ones that are team of mutants, are complicated. And there's lots of goings on here for both the mutant underground and the inner circle. The whole crazy Rebecca thing is dealt with really damn well. And poor Johnny Thunderbird and Blink's relationship is getting really, really tenuous. What I really like is that in this you get the good guys doing things that might not be so good as they try to figure out what the quote-unquote bad guys are up to. The quotes are, are well, you know, you know, quote-unquote good things. The reason I say that is we also have to contend with purifiers led by Jace Turner and the research doctor who is treating Reed Strucker. And the payoff is all these things get rocked out with action, action, action. And the world of the gifted is going to get a lot more intense with the mutant uprising and with everything that went down in this episode. All the strings get attended to, and we shall see what happens next in the show, where the line for good and bad is. It's blurry, and, and we just really get to enjoy good X-Men fun without that particular team being involved. And this was a great way to break the season, uh, to keep you intrigued. Like I, I need to know what happens next. It allows for so much more. And it was really good. The Gifted returns January 1st. Flash Season 5, Episode 7. Oh, come all ye thankful. Yes, they, they took a classic Christmas carol and used it as the title of the Thanksgiving Flash episode. And as usual, I love this show. Uh, we get to learn more about the man behind the cicada mask and feel why he's against metas. Yay for American Pie Guy doing a role that's not all, oh, shucks. And there's also emotional stuff for Barry and Nora, who is really a great addition to the show and gives Barry and Iris so much to work with. This episode was not the best, and Weather Wizard's daughter, appropriately named Weather Witch, was a throwaway teenage villain with Metatech and angst to match. But that wasn't the point of this episode. It was about fathers and daughters and allowed growth for both the hero and the villain this week. Also Thanksgiving goofery, the near end of family holidays, and then the heartwarming Flash family dinner you had to know was coming. All in all, a good episode that could have been filler but managed to be more. Episode 8, what's past is prologue, and... This is the 100th episode of the show about Barry Allen and basically lays out on the line what's going on here with the title. What's past is prologue. So this is a prologue for more to come and it's going to be in the past. 
and and man oh wow they that they do a good job team flash wants to take down cicada the only rogue that he has never caught and to do so they follow the excellent plan of his daughter from the future and go back to times where barry fight savitar or fought savitar zoom and ebar eobard thon heck in this trip to the past, we even see the Thinker and Grodd and Time Wraiths. And what's really great about this hectic trip to the past is Barry gets some more bonding time with his kiddo. And we get a trip down memory lane while actor Tom Cavanaugh gets to act his butt off as three different versions of Wells that aren't goofy in German. Then you get a showdown with Cicada, which goes all sorts of haywire. And there's even more with Nora, maybe still keeping secrets with a partner from 2049 that I'm going to keep secret but uh, yeah, there there was a lot, and and it it just worked. It shouldn't have worked to go back to all those times and to do more timeline timey wimeyness, but but it did. And this episode was wicked awesome. Really a good prologue for more showdowns with Cicada in the future. It really, really should not have worked, but it did. And it moved the story along and provided some great acting moments for a lot of characters. Barry and Nora pulled on my heartstrings. Really, this was good stuff. I watched it twice just because I enjoyed it so much. And I don't have time to watch any of these shows twice. But every once in a while, I do. Bonus, Back in Time by Huey Lewis, my friends. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Ralph Dibney. And there's a lot going on. And I cannot wait to see where it all goes. Also, I like when the writers are smart. And there was a moment versus Cicada that I just applauded and said, way to use previous stories in a way that makes sense. I'll stop loving on this episode for now. But this was a great one. And Flash is on mid-season finale after the Elseworlds uh, crossover returns January 15th. Arrow Season 7, Episode 7, The Slabside Redemption. Inmate 4587, a.k.a. Oliver Queen, has been dealing with the hardships of prison. And the show is trying to figure out if he could be free. Can he be free? Can he actually be back in Star City? And instead of doing a boring Ollie walks through the gates and then deals with Diaz, they did something so much better instead. Tons of of prison action in a gigantic versus battle with the dragon man oh man is it great and there's wrap-ups for baddies like samson brick and turner woo for bronze tiger or at least the origin of him lots of fights in a prison and while this is no daredevil season three it is still fun to watch fights in a prison and this does give a proper showdown for diaz and ollie the end is great too with how it goes down my only gripe is that weasel stanley um and and that i think we're gonna have to see him again as he whines and stabby stab stabs i give this episode a solid a I enjoyed the way the prison stuff went down. What I liked the most is they, they let this whole episode deal with the prison without any of the other story, and it made for fun TV. I think Arrow should probably look at the episodes and just concentrate on one thing and do really well. Sometimes the, the show gets a bit but complicated, <clears throat> or at least there's a lot of stuff going on, and that, that happens in Episode 8, Unmasked. Uh, spoilers, I suppose, but even if you skip in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1... You probably should know an episode about the Green Arrow after prison was going to equal him someday getting out of prison. And uh, the unmasking in this is the identity of the new Green Arrow. And I'll just say spoilers one last time. But now Oliver has to deal with not one, but maybe two Green Arrows as his city deals with vigilantes that are not him. Weird, but does lead to a throwaway baddie. Uh, but the but the point of this episode was not, not actually the bad guy. Or what was going on. It was getting to where the show is going to be headed after the mid-season break. Uh, the flash forwards are back. Uh, but really, there was lots of rush story here. Throwing Ollie back into a suit rather quick as he figures out what kind of hero he wants to be. And then his relationship with Felicity, who has developed her own inner badass, courtesy of the events of Ollie. That relationship is strained. And like I said, 
Things were rushed, but still better than the last season so far. Maybe I think maybe uh, I think I think I'm probably seeing this episode with rose colored lenses, to be honest, uh, since Emiko Queen was on screen, which made me happy. And no, that's not really a spoiler since she's right there at the beginning of the episode doing Ollie worthy training in an arrow costume. Uh, recently in arrow comics, Emiko Queen is uh, his half sister. And uh, she has been the Green Arrow at points. And long and short, this was a mid-season finale episode, opening up new opportunities for where the show can go when it comes back. Possibilities do have me intrigued. Uh, Diaz, I guess one more spoiler, but uh, Diaz working with Argus because we're probably getting more longbow hunters. You get Elicity possibly finally being over. Some people hate that. I'm not one that hates it. Some people would be really happy. Uh, Ollie is a sanctioned vigilante. Renee's wild dog considering public office. Emiko Queen, like I said. And the show being interesting again to me. Although I say that while while admitting that I sort of half watch these episodes. Uh, the only meh was the flash forwards, but... Maybe they'll get better. It is interesting. I was I was much more riveted by the previous episode, but it's good to see Oliver Queen back in action, working with Renee and Dinah. And Arrow will return after uh, it has one more episode, the Elseworlds crossover, and then it comes back January 21st. Uh, Supergirl Season 4, Episode 7, Rather the Fallen Angel. And well, wowza and a half, my friends. Supergirl... Oh, how you are so good. For anyone who thinks this is just a bubblegum substandard show because DCW can't do Superman, this is the sort of episode that'll make you shut your mouth and remind you why this is just damn good television. There's darkness and great acting and so much more. Manchester Black is lots of time and is one heck of a character plus real threats from the Children of Liberty, then Heartbreak and Lena Luthor stuff. And I do not know how to tell you how much I was thrilled by this episode without spoiling anything about a season of Supergirl that is poignant and wonderful. Xenophobia is a real thing in the real world and in the multiverse of the DCW it's not free from it either. Lots of characters have different ways of dealing with this fact. And there's lots of great moments for Kara, Manchester Black, James Olsen, Martian Manhunter. Really, this is wonderful. Intention filled with lots of big surprises. Danny had warned me that I might hate Lena Luthor at the end of this. But <clears throat> surprisingly, that wasn't the case. There is a different character that earned my ire. But I certainly had all the feels regarding many characters that I've come to love by watching the show. And this may be the best episode so far. And I cannot recommend it more. Getting uh, to the next episode, episode 8, Bunker Hill. Uh, let me just say this first and foremost, that Kevin Smith directed the crap out of this radical episode. No, there's a whole team who makes these shows great, and he's the first to say that all he does is cheerlead and buy Timbits, but wowza, was this a great episode. And uh, I have to point out, his episodes usually are. We get action and some resolution for Manchester Black. We get Agent of Liberty, John Jones, Kara, and so, so much more. It's tension-filled and just goes and goes, and you are riveted with all the action, plus Brainiac awesomeness as he's awkward and more. Well, knowing details of the future regarding Nyan but not wanting to mess up the time stream, which is actually pretty funny if you consider the Flash episode that I already reviewed from this same week. Uh, more for Nyan powers, and then me just super happy for her LGBT representative roommate. There's so much I could geek about. But but one there's one particular effect shot with Kara that is just so dang good. I really love Super Supergirl being super, and this was next level in a small but rad way. Bonus, just the the cool words, own a romancer from Nell Tor. Uh, watch the episode and it'll make sense. The end is all sorts of interesting for where the season is going to go. And wowza, Mister Smith, wowza, Supergirl, super 
job. This episode never struggled. It flew, and I'll just leave my thoughts with saying a war with Supergirl sounds like a bad idea, but also awesome. We are going to get the Elseworlds crossover for Supergirl with Arrow and Flash, and Supergirl will return January 20th. I guess this is as good a place as any to mention the nifty Elseworlds crossover teaser that was uh, at the end of Supergirl, Arrow, and Flash with old school John Wesley ships Flash and the Monitor on Earth-90 among a rubble-strewn battlefield with lots of dead heroes. I know you might be like, Earth-90, there's only 52 Earths. And like, wait, wait, wasn't there an episode of DCW where they're like, well, 53, but nobody wants to go to that one. And that one, of course, was Earth-X. Friends, the point is it's Earth-90 because John Wesley ships Flash was a 90 show. So that's why it's Earth-90. And while there are 53 known worlds, maybe there's another one that's not known about. Very possible. But uh, this was this was cool. You get that rubble-strewn battlefield. And I think I saw Firestorm and Stargirl and the Ray. Smallville Green Arrow. So not Green Arrow from the DCW, but like Smallville era Green Arrow. And some people I saw arguing on Reddit about whether the Stargirl was from Smallville one, uh, the last the Smallville Green Arrow might actually make sense since there is a bunch of teaser photos online for the crossover, and one of them is Superman as as Clark Kent in plaid with Lois Lane and Supergirl in front of the same farmhouse that they used for the Smallville show. Color me stoked because I'm a big fan of that Smallville show. Uh, also, the Monitor in a crossover that includes the Flash season, the already mentioned Crisis, woo to the who. Uh, and Psycho Pirate and the Monitor, and then then another another bad guy and and reality being changed and and three episodes so basically a three hour movie including Superman and Batgirl or Batwoman I should say oh man it's so damn gum exciting I cannot wait for that show next week I can't I can't sorry friends uh, Legends of Tomorrow season four episode six. Tender is the Nate. I know you heard it from me before, friends, but by golly, is Legends of Tomorrow fun. Hooray for Mona, the new weirdo and awesome Asian actress as part of the show as the magical caretaker for the Time Bureau. There's also a surprise inspection from Nate's dad, which you know is going to be weird since Charlie the Shapeshifter is part of the team. Currently looks like a Maya, but yay for Roaring Twenties gay puri for the team complete with Ernest Hemingway, Salvador Dali. And the Fitzgeralds. There's artsy fartsy fools and a minotaur, mythology burns, and Lear playing that leads to James Taylor lullabies. And holy heck, Biff from Back to the Future can sing. And I totally forgot to mention he had a Back to the Future joke in a previous episode that was funny. If that makes no sense to you, Thomas F. Wilson, the actor who plays Nate Haywood's dad, uh, is is currently the official who provides funding for the Time Bureau. And if you don't know, Thomas F. Wilson was Biff, and he once was president of the United States in a f- dystopian future. <laughs> what else? Lady bonding for Ava, Nora, Dark, and Mona. And in the end, I agree with Nate's dad. This is a chaotic, wasteful mess with so much value and is a great description for the legends. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Old-timey old Paris Minotaurs. Hey! Episode 7, Hell No, Dolly. And of course, the weirdo Joe the Wookie Riot was ready for musical theater. 
uh, with a title like that. But it, but it's okay because we also got another Fun Legends episode. Man loving Constantine, which is rad and leads to a high-profile female serial killer in the Big Easy that is none other than Madame Marie Laveau, also connects to uh, Constantine's sexy man from flashbacks. And uh, this episode is more about possessed dolls that take on a whole new meaning here with hilarious effect. I'm with Rory. Burn it. Burn it, but uh, Mona, the magical caretaker, is back for weird magical creature stuff, which may or may not be illegal. I'm no Newt's commander, so I don't know the laws of proper love with man beasts, but as a Wookiee, I probably should. Um, it also, this episode adds to new intrigue with the Time Bureau. Uh, we are we do get back to possessed dolls, which leads to the, the best second use of a puppet I have ever seen. I should have seen it coming, uh, and even then, I only hoped hoped it could be possible so much silliness coupled with some seriousness for john constantine and then a potential catastrophic rupture to history i'm not going to spoil anything done for love and future demon threats but let's just say the next episode is called legends of to meow meow and it has to do with repercussions from a possessed doll episode and it is cool to say sentences like that so thank you legends black lightning season two episode seven the book of blood chapter three the saying uh, we're investigating the mystery of the powered by a white lady, a.k.a. Looker Rednecks, which doesn't go great for Black Lightning. Well, Jennifer deals with her feelings regarding lots of things with her therapist with mind powers. And apologies for forgetting that therapist name right now. I did sort of look for it, but not really that hard. Um, then I am O-faced as Jefferson and Looker debate white and minority privilege with a rebel flag hanging in the background. Gamby, the artist, watches while it all goes down and I, I'm none too thrilled with this arc of the show. Too Southern antagonism for me. Too awful white people for me. The best part of the episode was Jen and Khalil. And yes, I did geek out when Nis, Nissa geeked out about Theta Waves. Hello, Scientology. But overall, this episode was meh. And, uh, and it bummed me out to be losing enthusiasm for the show. Boo for South Freeland. And uh, I hope we do not return there anytime soon, even if I liked watching Looker and Thunder fight. I do wonder what's going on with Anissa's girlfriend, who seems to have quickly forgiven her and have mysteries of her own. At least at least I got to enjoy some father-son and or daughter moments, so the episode was not a complete loss, I guess. Also, special powers for bad decision-making, uh, Jennifer, and it is cool that the show nicely deals with teens getting help with life with therapists. But overall, I just was like, oh, I don't want this to continue. And thankfully, it did not. And we moved on to the next episode. Episode 8, The Book of Rebellion. Chapter 1, Exodus. Painkiller Khalil and, and superpowered Jan are on the run. And he's still thugging it out with a big price on his head. But it is fun to watch him kick ass. The episode is focused with these teens on the run. And both Tobias Well and Jen's family are trying to find them. Also a joke about Khalil's hair looking like Whoopi Goldberg that is handled quite nicely. I am glad the show went back to other focuses but I, I guess i should point out that a lot of the season has been shot at night whatever happened to daylight black lightning yes I, I mean i guess lightning can happen during the day and it's not as good i get that but uh with a uh, freeland high not being a thing anymore we just it's dark it's a darker show um i i guess yeah it, it just is what it is but uh, should should we talk about uh, Tobias Whale talking to a painting of his dead sister? I mean, geez, that guy is lonely. But uh, I am glad they found a new way to move the show. But uh, didn't just cop out and let the kids be found in one episode. I do question Jen's strongest mother fall, falling to pieces. Uh, 
but she's been under a lot of stress in the last few episodes, so I guess that. I just really, really like see uh, Lynn being strong like her husband Je Jefferson Pierce. Uh, Black Lightning does get to be tough here, too, for a moment. And then there's a, a knife-wielding professional that was all sorts of great. Plus, a most excellent use of a toaster as a defensive weapon. Also like the way they've let Jen's powers evolve slowly. And overall, this was a decent episode. Even... Even even with uh, Jefferson Pierce uh, risking his secret identity a bit too much, uh, you know, when you're wearing a super suit chasing after your daughter several times, bad guys might figure things out. Just saying. But uh, Black Lightning has one more episode, uh, I think, before its mid-season finale. Moving on to The Simpsons, season 30, episode 8. Krusty the Clown. So you get the daily fourth gradient. It's not fiscally solvent and costing tens of dollars. Yes, like 32 bucks. So uh, they're going to get an online revamp that leads to Lisa's assignment as a TV recapper, which reveals Homer's talent doing it for her. Lisa doesn't want to be a TV recapper. Homer does. Says a lot for Joe the Wookiee Riot as I recap an episode about recapping. But you get Homer recapping Krusty the Clown's show negatively and Bart's favorite clown tries to off his father and after Krusty becomes wanted for the attempted Homer side Bart hides him as a circus clown to laughter from me lots of funny circus clown names and in the end everything is back to status quo since we know the Springfield justice system is justice for most and overall it was an okay episode seeing a crusty centric episode was pretty cool lots of clown jokes and i'm always a big fan of that i say that i'm recording this episode wearing a color clowns from outer space shirt also real greatness with homer and the secret behind all TV shows, all the many TV shows that are available for viewers, really great jab at the USA Network. And and also when Krusty and Homer are arguing during the aforementioned uh, recapping and attempted offing, fans of The Simpsons, for as long as I have been, should laugh hard thinking of their conversation being about criticism of the show, you know. It's so delightfully meta. Plus, it affirms for me that season four is the best uh, season of The Simpsons. I really dug it all. Give us a B plus or maybe an A because A is for Ralph. Also, just the win of the episode was Homer's review for The Walking Dead. So check it out, Danny. A C plus because there's too much walking and not enough dead. <laughs> oh, Homer. Totally good. Episode 9, uh, called Daticus Finch. So uh, the Simpsons writers decided to base a Homer and Lisa bonding episode on the classic American novel To Kill a Mockingbird. And it, it's a good episode. Lots of bonding for the two and Southern Draws and even the 1962 movie showing up on the Simpsons TV a couple times. What else? Oh yeah, Bart got jealous of the attention. We learned Shauna and Super Nintendo Chalmers are Jewish. And of course, Bart pisses off the town, giving Homer a chance to shine. Even Maggie has a cute bonding moment with her papa in the episode, proving uh, that Homer can't, he has it in him to be a good family man, even if he is Homer J. Simpson. Uh, also, Homer in the little girl's clothing store probably speaks for every protective father ever, and I'm always going to be a sucker for daddy-daughter time that includes American literature lampooned so beautifully. For some strange reason, this season's episodes have had a lot of Jay Sherman, I mean John Lovett's cameos, and though, though I did like Llewellyn Sinclair showing up in this episode, I am torn between him being a classic Simpson voice and the fact that my podcast here is Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman say he's a terrible human being. But anywho, the win for this episode, a four-way tie between Boo Radley, Yay Radley, Penance, the joke that Netflix will make anything by Duffman, Kirk is a hero, 
sandwich and uh, Dr. Jessup, the school therapist with minutes to treat young and old alike. And I dig the Dr. Jessup is voiced by J.K. Simmons. So as a geek, I kept thinking it was therapy with J. Jonah Jameson. And I give this episode an A. It was fun and it was fresh. Uh, moving on to Star Wars Resistance, Episode 9, the Platform Classic. So the team of mechanics working for Jaeger are looking forward to the next big race, which is named in the episode title, but Kaz has info about it that he thinks will thrill Jarek Jaeger, but does not go as planned. Bring on famous racer Marcus Speedstar, who's the brother of Jaeger Jarek. And then just yay for a joke about on-the-nose names in Star Wars, possibly being fake there is new aliens and droids plus backstory for Jarek Yeager which also uh it develops his character and allows him to show his racing chops and his rad racer for fans of the force awakens bring on the guavian death gang and then there's a big race for two brothers at odds that includes one of the colossus's aces who is an imperial racer with a stormtrooper helmet with a skull painting on it and imperial tattoos which really has me intrigued the end is just a moral lesson that winning requires forgiveness friends and it was a it was good it gave the kiddos all the fun that they could want while still moving the story along. Episode 10, Secrets and Holograms. This all starts with uh, racing video games in Star Wars Friends, plus dog-like animals, and this one's named Buggles and is super cute. Uh, we later learn that this video game is called Flight Simulator Squadron and is one of many. Uh, Tora Doza, the ace daughter of the Colossus Captain Doza, gets a lot of time here with Kaz. Then the whole First Order and Captain Pyre, the gold trooper plot, keeps going. We all know the First Order is bad jamming, but we have to remember that as they consolidated power within the galaxy, they, they did it through tr you know trying to appear legitimate with efforts to clear out sectors from threats like pirates. And This episode reveals an even fancier... Ace's Lounge with more looks at pilots including Hype Faison, Elijah Woods Rockland, Ruckland shows up again, and then there's a big reveal for Captain Doze's past that makes his current coordinating efforts make sense or maybe make sense. I also just geeked out about nice nerdy details like Star Wars dating and cycles and days and this episode had a nice pace. Let Kazuto, Zioda, uh, Zioda, I think that's right, bond with another character, namely Toradoza, within the framework of what he's supposed to be spying on in the first place. And it was really good stuff. It was an enjoyable episode. I really, really liked it. But uh, that is all the TV to talk about and all the geeky news. There are a butt ton of comics that I've read. But I, uh, we're already almost at an hour, so I'm going to save those comics for a future episode. Maybe a bonus ode, or, uh, or we'll see. Or maybe I'll record when I get home late tonight and uh, just put it up as next week's episode. We shall see, but I've, I've read lots of comics. Lots of comics. In fact, I've written about a lot of them, but I also have like 25 or 30 that I still haven't even gotten a chance to recap because school. But the good news is school is ending soon i've got a week and a half i've got crunch time to finish writing my 13 page paper on lincoln and my 20 page paper on walt disney and yes those are historical papers you're my friend ask me about them i'll tell you i'll tell you how much it sucks but <laughs> but uh yeah so i hope you enjoyed the tv being caught up uh i'm enjoyed being caught up and i'm also enjoying all these shows going on their mid-season hiatus so i get to actually enjoy my christmas break for a little bit uh but yeah, thanks so much. Maybe this week there'll be a, a special episode with Blue. Very, very possible. I will certainly talk about Elseworlds at some point because uh, I'm really, really excited for it. 
And uh, yeah, friends, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for being classy. Just thanks for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, I hope you I hope your holiday season so far is going great. However, you celebrate it, I'm I'm just grateful for uh, the opportunity to talk geeky and uh, to have a reason to enjoy all the geeky stuff that I do. You know, I do it for the people. That's what I do. I'm I, I do it for the people. That's what I I'm I'm from Liverpool, <laughs> and I do bad accents as you know my friends but uh may the force be with us all thanks for stopping by thank you for being classy be excellent to each other party on dudes and uh like we always end ttfn the slosh aka the wookie out